You know, I've been thinking a lot. Maybe I think about this all the time. Maybe you do too. I don't know. Uh, Maybe it's not that novel. But I have been thinking a lot lately about what we all need. Mm -hmm. That's a big statement right there. But after two years of a sustained species level stressor and social unrest. So it feels like such a heavy term, but there's a lot going on. And so many of us are deep steeping, steeping like a tea bag in some hot water of anxiety, frustration, discomfort. Uh, Last week, this is what really got, got me rolling on this topic. On Thursday nights, I take care of my grandmother, uh, who's in her 80s and absolutely wonderful and who I've talked on, about on the show before, so I won't bore you too much with it. But she she needs help and support. And it became obvious while caring for her last week that she's been down and down in a way that I don't associate with her. She's been a positive person my whole life. She's kind of my emotional template person for what it means to be kind and caring for others. And she's just magic. Um, And so we had this conversation about her being depressed and what being kind of cooped up all winter on a COVID winter when you can't move freely anyway, as an older person, like what's that really doing to her disposition and, and that she has always been an emotional leader in our community. Right? She was a person that visited other people when they needed a pick-me-up. She would call her friends, and she was a good listener, and she is is all of those things. But with everything going on, she is finding herself pulling inward in a way that, again, I just don't associate with her core being. And it got me really thinking about this idea of what we label as leadership, And how we associate leadership with organizations and institutions and with revenue, right? KPIs and what it means to be a leader. (laughs) And really, socially right now, the need for emotional leaders, people who say, okay, this is how we're going to get ourselves through and out the other side of everything that's happened and who we're going to be on the other end of it. And when I think of those template people, what the world needs right now, one of those people for me is today's guest, Scott Barry Kaufman. And he's, he's incredible. Uh, Let me just throw that out there in the beginning. But Scott is a psychologist. He's a humanistic psychologist, and he's also studied cognition um, in a variety of levels. And what we're going to dive into in this episode are some of his landmarks in his work. So the dual process theory of human intelligence. Essentially, Scott has a body of work that shows that intelligence is not just the executive function and ability to recall facts and process in a, the way that we traditionally think of as intelligence. And we dive into that and why it matters. And I also think why it matters right now in a moment when people are looking at themselves and their world and feeling like, what do I really have to offer? What is my purpose? Why am I here? And if you are not that straight A, t- you know, typical high achiever, 
feeling like you have something unique and resilient and beautiful to offer the world. And if you are that high achiever, high test scorer out in the world and feeling that that kind of intelligence isn't serving you, being able to identify the other things that you have to offer the world in your uniqueness. Because what Scott is really about at this moment in my assessment is catalyzing actualization in as many people as possible through his own individual work and also through putting out a body of work that inspires people like me to do some of the things that I do. So his 2020 book, Transcend, you'll hear me gush about it in the interview. We also dive into this concept of free will. Uh, It's based off of an episode of his podcast that he recently interviewed Sam Harris, and they got into a debate about free will. We break it down into digestible ideas. But essentially, why I think this matters right now is, are we a product of everything that's happening to us, or do we have the ability to shape our own destiny and reality? And clearly, if you're a fan of this show, you know where I fall down on this. And it's just delightful. Re-listening to the episode as I was editing it, my heart is very full for the generosity of spirit and resources and intelligence that Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman brings to the table for all of us. And when I think of the emerging edge of evidence-based thought leadership, especially in the psychology and life and lifestyle space, I think of SBK. And it's an honor to have him on the show. I do want to give you a quick note that there's a lag in our audio. So you'll occasionally hear an echo of my voice through his mic, and you will occasionally hear big pauses where the audio has buffered oddly. And so if that happens, just hang out. <laughs> your your audio is not broken. It's just a couple of seconds and the audio quality is good otherwise, but just a heads up that that's a thing you'll notice. And uh, my apologize, we were experimenting with some new ways to record the show to give a higher sound quality uh, to those who've been listening for a while and know that sound quality has not always been our most consistent strength on the show. We get into some really cool cutting edge theories in psychology. We get into Maslow. We get into what it means to meet your needs. We get into the weeds and I love it. I hope that you love it too. I won't hold it up any longer. Let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Barry Kaufman on Better Than Fine. Fitness, wellness, well-being, relationships, our own minds, building a life that works for each of us. And of course, the care of the body that we live those lives in. Welcome to Better Than Fine. This is a podcast about living a life above zero. You know, one that's better than fine. And it's for those people who are looking to explore themselves, one another, and the lessons of the world around us. And we do that by exploring the intersection of traditional wisdom and modern science. And I'm your host, Darlene Marshall. I'm an expert in wellness and well-being with nearly a decade in the fitness industry. I've got a master's degree in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, which is the scientific study of well-being. But really, I've spent my adult life exploring the human condition, looking for leverage points that I can use to unstick others along their journey. And this podcast is one of those unsticking tools. So let's get to it. Well, hi, Scott. Welcome to Better Than Fine. Hi, Darlene. So great to chat with you. I'm excited to reconnect with you. It's been it's been a long while. Uh, I confess, though, 
whenever I interview anyone that has a Wikipedia page, I just start to get this a little bit of nervous. <laughs> oh, no. Well, then we got to bounce that out and get you a Wikipedia page. That's ah, that's clearly the case, right? Um, mm. Who do you? Mm. Well, you've had a podcast for a long time. The, the psychology podcast. Mm. I love your podcast. A really long time. Seven years Thank or eight? You. Thank you. 2014. Oh, you've been at this a minute. I mean, you probably give me some big pro tips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, it's been a while. Who do you get excited? Uh, well, I guess I have to, who do you get nervous to interview? You've had a couple of big names. I used to get nervous all the time. And then I just got to the point where I did so many of these interviews. I mean, it was like almost 300 episodes or something. You get to a certain point where like no one really makes you nervous anymore. Like you realize that they're all human. And uh, as soon as you, within the first five minutes, you realize just how human people are, no matter what their credentials or anything like that. If you just treat people as human, you know, that's, that's the way, that's the way to go. If you treat them as human, you talk to them as human and uh, things go wrong when you, when you put people on a pedestal, I think. Yeah, I think, I think that's very wise, right? And a kind of across the board, mm. that idea of not yeah. seeing anyone as human as seeing them kind of like a, any kind of monolithic identity, right? Where we let their, we obscure their yeah. humanity in our imagination. Yeah. Very wise place to start. Yeah. Well, and you have many wise things that you share, and there's so many different directions that we could explore. And actually, my first spark of inspiration came from that Wikipedia page. Uh, there's a quote I, I want to throw out here that you specialize in intelligence, creativity, and human potential, that most media attention is focused on your attempt to redefine intelligence. And I've always appreciated when you put out concepts around intelligence and the, the dual process theory. So can you share to kick us off here around what is the dual process Thanks, theory Tony. of intelligence? Like just share with us for that. Sure. I mean, it's, it's been a hot minute since someone asked me to explain <laughs> the dual process theory of human intelligence. I really appreciate it. Um, it that was, that's, that was my uh, baby uh, in grad school. Uh, it seemed like so many theories of intelligence were so fo were focused on explicit intelligence, which is what I what I called you know IQ test kind of thinking. Um, I I relabeled it in my dissertation as explicit intelligence because it requires you to hold information in your working memory and uh, and be able to manipulate it in your working memory. And people who have executive functioning difficulties don't tend to do as well in these kinds of tests. Um, so their intelligence can be judged perhaps as lower than, than is fair to fair to assess for the purpose per person than their real potential can show. Uh, and the dual process there is the dual process of the mind, which is the explicit cognition and then an implicit cognition. And I argue that like 50% of the intelligence pie was being ignored um, that so much of life requires and draws on our ability to non-consciously um, look at different uh, probabilistic patterns in nature and humans, the way, you know, humans are unpredictable. There's not like there's 100% predictability there. There's a lot of messiness um, and doing like really rich statistical computations at an unconscious level, things that far exceed working memory capacity. In some ways, some people could argue that this implicit intelligence that I 
uh, focused on in my in my dissertation is actually much more extraordinary in terms of intelligence than the kinds of tests that we call intelligence tests. Yeah. And that's that spark, exactly what you're describing to me has always seemed like the essence of, you know, cleverness, wisdom, wit, like so much that goes into deep humor. And as a writer, I know you probably know how hard it is to craft a good joke to enliven an audience. To, there's so many different layers that go into and just common sense that has nothing to do with my ability to recall facts or run, you know, do math in my head or whatever. Um, and I've, that's one of the things yeah. I most appreciate yeah. about this and why I wanted to start here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you started there. It's, it's great. People, well, because, people really asked me that. Because I, you know, so much of what I see you putting out now feels like it's been built on this foundation. Yes. And if, are it you has. comfortable sharing your story with us around like, your own upbringing. No, I retired it. Oh, you retired it. <laughs> I was. I just. Had it. I retired it. I just. I just had a whole three-hour hidden brain episode, um, uh, uh, recording for an upcoming hidden brain episode on oh, NPR, cool. where I I exhausted every nook and cranny of that story, and I was like, I'm done. All right, let's <laughs> plug done. it then. Plug his upcoming episode of Hidden Brain if you want to hear the behind-the-scenes yeah, story. Right. There you go. There you um, go. There you go. But I, you know, I just look at to inspiration in my own life and so much of what you're doing now feels built on this idea that it's not just the ways that we've been yeah. taught to think about intelligence, that there's so many other ways that we can show up in the world creatively and contribute. And that so much more of our conversation today, I'm hoping we kind of wander down these paths, but I think it's built on this spark that you had this insight into intelligence. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the uh, the thing that's really directly relevant about my early childhood experiences and the work I do today is that I was definitely an oddball in school, but I was also a, non a nonconformist. And I don't think that people really appreciate children who are nonconformists or who are creative or have rich imaginations. Uh, and so it was much easier to put all sorts of labels on me. Uh, and uh, stick me in a special ed room than to actually uh, engage in my creativity and let me express it and give me materials and resources to do what I really wanted to do, which was not the boring ass stuff they were doing in the classroom. <laughs> like, oh, well, you know, the teacher was like reading like a book that was like so boring and I was reading books you know that were like sci like rich sci-fi Piers yes. anthony and like first grade you know, like you know like you know and they're, they're reading like and spot says to mary and i'm just like y'all some boring ass mother hmm. so anyway um the thing is the point here is that you know that didn't that doesn't that gets you in detention that doesn't but it yeah. shouldn't it shouldn't it should we should actually take kids where they are um and help them wherever they are i believe in different developmental trajectories and, that, and so that's a big part of my of my mission today really is helping is recognizing that we're all in different parts of this journey at different times uh and some kids um really need uh, additional resources to thrive or else i get really bored um and uh you know it, it, we, we all we all need to uh to be challenged and we all need to have some match to what our inner stream of dreams, desires, and wishes in life are. If, if it's so mismatched with our external environment, 
Well, as a child, it's frustrating. It's also frustrating as an adult. Imagine being at a job and they keep giving you jobs and tasks to do. And you're like, this is boring. Like it, it just, this is just a fact of life, you know, and I'm really all about matching people with their unique uh, mind. And, and, and the not just boring, right? Like this understimulating this idea that, that, that growth somehow ends, right? We, whether it's 18 or 23, or when you have kids, like some of the other things I see you putting out are around this idea of a lifelong journey of learning and exploration. Uh, you know, the, the metaphor that you use in transcend is the ship that you're building this robust ship to explore the world in. And do you just want to tackle yeah. on the shore or do you want to be able to go off and explore the whole world? And how much more of a rich existence do you get when you're empowered with those tools as a child? Right. Mm. But I think also to yeah. flip that, that you can be empowered with those tools as an adult too. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm pulling totally. this I'm from you. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, well, honestly, Darlene, you're doing awesome work. You, you know, I love the, the coaching space you're in and you know, this, you inhabit this stuff all the time as well. So don't, don't, you don't sell yourself short. You can be blushed now. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just honored to be on your radar, yourself. sir. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. No, you very much are. You very much are. Um, but, you know, uh, th this is why I'm really excited about creating this new form of coaching. I'm calling self-actualization coaching because I think that that could that needs to be a focus in the coaching world is, is specifically helping people um, design the kind of life they want to live on their own terms and in a way that's in synergy with the world where what's good for you is good for the world. You know, not saying uh, not some sort of selfishness thing. I think a lot of people have misconceptions what self-actualization means, but you know, something well, that's really, what, uh, what does self-actualization mean? Yeah, share, share with oh, the my God. our dear, dear listener. Well, uh, well, there's uh, in many different ways it's been kind of described over the, the years, and it uh, doesn't originate from Abraham Maslow, uh, the humanist psychologist, but he certainly used that term a lot. Um, the word term, you know, you think of you think of the East Indian philosophy, they use self-realization, that term a lot, and um, so, and it goes way, way back. But uh, Maslow's notion of self-actualization uh, when he first started his work was well it's just simply what is that unique creative potential within you what is the most unique thing that you are that you must do you know he says a painter must paint you know a musician must make music or else you're doomed to be uh, live an unhappy existence right it's kind of, you know the kind of like whatever your talents and inclinations are you got you have to fulfill them fulfilling your potential your unique creative potential but you know as he got older and um faced his mortality more, he started to get to a point of transcendence, of a point of starting to see things beyond his own body, his own existence to um, to future generations and what, what it means to leave a mark for future generations. And he believed that self-actualization was not the highest human motivation, that transcendence was, and that self-actualization was merely a bridge to transcendence. But what was unique about that way of thinking about it, which is the way I do, I think about it, is that it is a necessary condition for transcendence. Some people might not say so. Um, they try. They may. Uh, uh, I would. I would argue narcissistically think that that they are enlightened after taking a couple yoga classes, or like you know, okay, you can do the downward dog pose now. You're more enlightened than the 
neighbor next door to you, right? And so you can kind of get this complex in your head, like I'm more, it's called the I'm enlightened and you're not effect in psychology. Technical and term. that's very, that's a very, yeah, that's the technical term. That's a very like a uh, 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 vertical way of thinking about transcendence. I'm all about horizontal ways of thinking about transcendence, you know, like thinking about it in the sense, it's not about um, master. It's not about uh, doing spiritual practices so that you're somehow have a higher level of consciousness than other mere mortal <laughs> mortals. But it's really, to me, a, in, in, integrates your self-actualization. It's really the harmonious integration of your whole self in the service of realizing the good society. So there really is a component there. There's a component there of you're contributing positively to society, but also the the, the kind of being that emanates with you from, within you um, is a being that is um, very integrated um, and isn't coming from a place of ego and destruction. Unfortunately, in this world today, you see a lot of people who, in the name of transcendence, um, are doing things that are really coming from a place of ego and power or motive. And that's not integrated, in my view. And that, that, in your opinion, that transcendence also, and, and this is me kind of having a clarifying question of my own thought in the moment, that it's not just mm. a thinking about community. It's not just a thinking about greater integration. It's a it's a, an experience, right? There's an emotional, experiential component of feeling part of a greater whole. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, I would like us to rally around very common transcendent experiences more than we rally, more than we go to our silos and divide from each other. Um, along the lines of our religion, who, which God do we pray to, um, or politics, you know, which political leader do we pray to? <laughs> <laughs> Water down that path. Um, yeah, yeah. But I like your your framing of it as a bridge between actualization and mm. transcendence, because, um, and I and I want to get your opinion on this as well. In my thinking on sure. it, when I when I think of it from a coach perspective a bridge goes both directions. And I think that mm. while our moment to moment, you know, brings us toward whatever our actualization or the expression of that might be, I actually think these transcendent moments bring back the reason that fuels our day to day, you know, behavioral choices, if that makes sense. So when we have these big transcendent experiences, they're the flywheel on why we take better care of ourselves and take care to care of one another in all of the, you know, Corey Muscar calls it the grandmother's wisdom, right? Underneath positive psychology. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think the transcendence gives us the, the, the crank turn on the why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, well, that's beautifully put. That's really beautifully put. Yeah, I, I can't add to that. Oh, dang. Well, I, I stumped the man. <laughs> well, okay. So Not stumped. It, it was good. Okay. Was it a question? Did you ask no, me a question? I wanna, I, I'm curious of your thoughts. If, yeah. you, if you have experienced the same as someone who, you know, this is your, a lot of your deep thinking, from what I understand, is mm -hmm. in this space of how do we facilitate what is, you know, so often we hear about self-transcendence as difficult to study because it's difficult to facilitate outside of psychedelics. We can't just spark mm -hmm. awe in the lab in simple ways consistently. 
So as someone who's done deep thinking in this, is that what you're seeing as well as you have the, a self-transcendent experience, you have a peak experience and it, and it then fuels you toward the desire to actualize and also to meet the other foundational needs that support your ability to, and constitution to keep showing up in the world. Yes, because what self-transcendent experiences do for you is they help you reprioritize uh, or, uh, or prioritize with greater clarity um, your hierarchical goal structure, which is a boring way of saying what your highest <laughs> what you dreams are, <laughs> what you want out of your life, what you most want out of your life. And I think that our that that idea of what we most want out of our life can really get out of focus in our day to day grind of life with, you know, all the competing. Do you think of all the competing demands in our attention, all the emails that you don't really want to respond to? Do you really want to, like, spend your whole day responding to emails from strangers? I know I don't want to, but I almost feel like I have to, yeah. you know, um, but it's uh well, I just want a little tangent there. But, um, ah, the but I'm with you. I'm with you 100 percent. There's so much that that's just taking you away from your your what your your highest level priorities in life. And so being able to have some of these transcendent experiences allows you to really refocus uh, and really hone in really quickly on what matters because you see the preciousness of life, you see the fragility of life, and you also can see more clearly your own where you fit in the whole uh, of the oneness of the universe. That actually nicely leads me and I think beautifully leads to this next question I want to ask you, which is around, you know, you say, oh, the painter paints. And so often when I work with people on their well-being, the, the, the drive for meaning and purpose, and, and to your point, there's so many ugly distractions right now that are hollowing out mm. the feeling that any given individual has something unique to offer. And so mm. I'm curious if you have any wisdom to offer or if, or if anyone in your own coaching experience has come to you with this feeling of, but I don't, I don't have that. I don't have the painter paints feeling. I'm not unique and special. Mm, yeah. And where does that lead? A lot you? of people feel that way. Yeah. To a dark place. What do you, what wisdom do you people. offer that person? I mean, I've had, well, first of all, I think that like late blooming is underrated. So when a lot of people <laughs> later in life, they eventually discover what they love. I ask, wait for what? They're not, you know, it's like, calm down. You know, why do you need to have it all figured out this minute? I have a lot of college students who, I mean, I teach, I teach, I've taught college students many, many years and uh, most of them don't have it figured out, you know, and it's not like I've given up on them. It's not like I'm like, you're all worthless. <laughs> you haven't figured out yet your purpose. And I know that you're not saying that. You're not saying that they're worthless. Well, I think it's but... a ridiculous cultural expectation we have that someone's going to know at 17 when they apply to undergrad who they're going to be when they're 45. Like that, why are we setting ourselves up for that? And you're cutting short this beautiful I journey agree. of self-discovery. I've switched gears so many times in my 20s and 30s. And I fully oh, expect to again when I, I'm like, I might get my PhD when I'm 60. And I hope that I want to. Yeah, totally. Um, so that's a really unrealistic expectation. But a lot of adults put unrealistic expectations on themselves. Because I, I my view of, of a calling 
is not it's not something that comes from within it's the calling is something you're called to do and you can be called to do something uh, anytime there's so many needs in this world there's so many people suffering and there's so many potential ways to jump right in right away like if you come to me it almost seems like while you're so obsessed what is my one two purpose what is my purpose what is my millions billions of kids just like died in africa from starvation okay you could have spent some of that time just like but my point is there's so many like needs that can be fulfilled you can waste your whole life trying to figure out what am I? Who am I? What's the core? Of, and I well, say and even much that, more important question. There are even more that question that. Yeah. creates the construct that there's only one yeah. purpose. Correct. And that's true. That's or that there is a real self as well. And I've and that, that that purpose is static. Yeah. Totally, right. That my totally. one purpose, my one self has one purpose. So, all right, I got a quick story for you. When I was 18, I nearly died in a car accident and it should have been horrible and I walked away from it and nobody, even the accident reconstructionist can't tell you how I walked away. And my grandmother, who is very religious, uh, crying hysterically tells me God sent an angel to save me. And in my twenties, I saved three lives in, in different instances. And every time, wow. cause I'm, I'm a smart ass. Every time I went to her and I was like, was that the thing I was saved for? Like, was that it? Mm. Because if that was it, I better not cross the street tomorrow. And she would get so mm. angry. But it was this idea that if I have just one contribution to give and I've, you know, I've like, I checked that box, like lightning's coming. And I think it is a, it's a fallacy in the question of like, what's my purpose? Mm. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that about your personal story. And uh, that's incredible. And and who knows, maybe it's true. There was a, an angel. Um, and I think that, that we're on the same page with this. You know, there, there, isn't, there isn't one true purpose. Um, but the point as well is that the purpose doesn't always come from within. It's a call. Calling is a better word for me than purpose, quite frankly. Okay. You know, you can have many, many callings, you know, you and what, but what's calling you? And that is, so there is something that is, within you that is relevant to the to the equation i'm not saying it's completely outside of yourself i'm saying what are the things that when you see certain people suffering or you see certain um let's say even just certain stimuli like um like yo-yo, yo-yo ma when he was very young he he felt called to play the cello he just loved the sound of the cello you know there are little callings um it's not like he was a fully fledged you know, cello player when he, when he felt that calling, right? It's not, what, what could you say? What was, was it within him that, that allowed him to resonate with that? Well, we don't know. Um, whatever it was there, it, it wasn't fully formed by any stretch of the imagination. We have got tons of things that aren't fully formed within us. Potentialities, um, tons of potentialities to say you only have one true purpose. My gosh, that puts way too much. What, how limiting is that? Yeah, <laughs> You have yeah. many potentialities that, and there are many needs out there. So find the ones that, that, that match you know, and that you feel called to do, but there's a lot out there of potential, potential callings and you have a lot of potentials within you. So there's hope. I would say there's hope. Don't go down to a dark path with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, what I hear in this is you're saying instead of investing time in the agony of this question of what's my purpose to, to act, to find something that interests you, that does something beyond yourself and follow it until you find the next thing and keep going. Yes. Yes. 
sound and wise advice, not from my grandmother. <laughs> yeah. And even just or Corey's three, grandmother. Four, uh, Corey's grand or put up three, four at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Why limit yeah. yourself to one? I dig it. Yeah. Why be a serial monogamist? Oh, do you want to wander down that path? Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's. Yeah, we're recording on Valentine's yeah, yeah. Day, everyone. Uh, that's a whole different. That's a different show. <laughs> this ain't the Savage Where'd Love Cast, man. <laughs> no, no, it's not. You're right. My mom yeah, listens to the show. I don't think that we can really mess with her that hard. Um, well, I meant it as a metaphor. Oh, yeah, I know. Your ideas. But it was yeah. fun to laugh with you, my friend. Let's. It can we switch fun. gears? Wish, let's do it i want to well i want to talk you had a recent episode of your show where you interviewed sam harris um and mm. i found that episode to be fascinating and i'd love to mm. explore at least one of the core ideas from that episode with you and for anyone who is listening that wants just a, a long deep wander into some in incredible thought leadership on free will like pause now go listen to the psychology podcast and come back um but can you so let's set up this argument around free will um for the uninitiated what's what's free will i feel like i'm throwing you the snowball like some big snowballs today with some ice in them oh boy oh boy what is free will what is free will <laughs> that's the question people disagree uh, in the field about what it means for our will to be free. Some people like Sam Harris think that in order to be free, we somehow have to be outside the laws of nature and uh, not uh, be it, part of a large, large causal chain going way, way back to the big bang, probably um, of laws that were uh, that, that could our current behavior could be, explained based on those laws and that could not have been otherwise so that if we rewind the tape to that moment we never would have acted differently because we're part of this whole thing beyond our comprehension of uh which is still not it's not metaphysical it's it's, it's grounded in lots of different factors going i mean you, can, you don't even have to go back to the big bang you can go back to the way your mother treated you when you were five you know to your genes to your environment to everything leading up to that precise moment had could you could predict if you were if you had access to all the causal factors you could predict with 100% accuracy that you would have acted that way and that you would always act that way so to people like Sam Harris that is the only free will that he can wrap his head around well i uh, can i can wrap my head around a little more than that to me uh, i think there's some free will worth wanting so i tend to um uh tend to align with daniel dennett's uh, philosophical views on free will and uh, he has this beautiful book called elbow room uh, you know, what is, what is our elbow room of free will, you know, and uh, I think there is some elbow room in there. It's not, not a lot. Maybe we overestimate it a lot. Maybe I think there's a very good point Sam makes, by the way, very good points. And I consider him a friend. Um, so there's, this is no animosity at all, but um, uh, he makes some very good points about the extent to which humans probably over uh, think they're, they, they're in control uh, more than they really are. Um, but there, there are some things we can do. <laughs> Yeah. So, so to summarize, to correct I think it's ourselves, at least. free will is this question of, do I actually choose my, my behavior, how I show up in the world? Do I get you know, choice in the matter or is it somehow predestined by something outside of myself, whether that being genes or causality or, you know, that there's so many mechanisms that we can't wrap our head around. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, if you're not a dualist, then it's, it, it's hard to wrap your head around what it would mean for a you to somehow step outside the laws of nature and make a decision like defying the laws. And what will that, what that mean for you yeah, who is part of mean? nature yeah. to defy, to defy the laws of nature. So I think a lot of people don't really get that when they, they feel like they're in control. It's like, yeah, you're not really, but nice, nice story, bro. But, um, <laughs> but, but um, even within the laws of nature, um, you know, we have amazing uh, capacities for reflection on our behaviors for error correction for imagination and planning, long-term planning. I think that through those more recently evolved cognitive capacities, um, it has enabled us to change the probabilities um, of our lives uh, in significant ways um, that can't be predicted ahead of time. Because we have, you know, like turtles, turtles don't have such good forethought. well, this is this this is the core nugget of exactly why I wanted to talk to you about this. Um, and and okay. I and I knew that you and Sam were friends, or I, I would never have set you up for <laughs> for that contention. Um, because in listening to the episode, what I just kept thinking is, you know, Sam makes this argument about we we can't know what thought is going to arise next, right? That like something's going to mm-hmm. come out of the ether. And I don't know where that thought comes from or the impulse that causes that thought or, or, or right back into infinitum. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I can leave myself a post-it note to remind myself to call the doctor, thereby shaping my behavior mm-hmm. going forward. And I can put my sneakers by the door so that I know I put them yeah. on and go to the gym. And in that way, I'm yeah. shaping with intentionality. You're right. His theory of three will is very passive and is based on a particular mode of consciousness that doesn't generalize to all modes of consciousness. You know, he does his meditation and then he, which is very, meditating, it's so passive. Wait, so is meditation better than my down dog? (laughs) Which one brings me closer? No, no, but with that, I don't know that I can't answer, but like meditation, you like, you know, it's so passive, you know, you're like, oh, there's a thought. Oh, I witnessed that thought. Oh, look at that thought. Okay. But like, that's not the only mode of consciousness, you know, like if you're going to conclude everything about human consciousness from one mode of consciousness, then you got a problem, buddy. Because what about like the football player mindset? Is that football player who's like tackling and running down the court, like after someone like passive? No, that's some active, you know, shit right there. Right. Like is the person who's like, you know, working like extremely, extremely hard and diligently to like um, uh, to, to, to crack some code or to get some job done. You know, there's a very, very active process and the kind of cognitions that come online there um, are more free will worth wanting than um, than just in a, a, a meditation uh, practice, which um, is beautiful. I'm not hating on meditation, but I'm saying that level that uh, just get in touch with your pure being um, has its merits, but it's not the only mode of consciousness we have. Well, and to your point, if we take that, like, let's take the sports performance example that I can take that, you know, cognition one step further and be contemplating how I'm going to 
you know, run a play. Like, how am I, you know, let's look at Phelps who had rehearsed his swims in his mind so many times so that when he jumped in the pool in the Olympics and his goggles were full of water, he didn't miss a stroke because he knew in his cognition how to do it, even if he were blind and he set a world record, right? Like he rehearsed that state with contemplation as opposed to just mindful self-observance. Yes. And yes. that's to me the nature of like free will. Let me put the bumpers in the bowling lane. And, you know, maybe I throw the ball crooked, but I put the bumpers there so it still knocks the ball the direction I want it to go. Yeah. The kind of cognitive processes you're talking about are, are definitely in line with the ones I see as a free will worth wanting. That's what we, isn't that what we ultimately want at the end of the day? See, the thing is, the, the, the philosophical notions of ultimate free will that a lot of people hold as a standard of free will are not what most people mean by free will in everyday parlance. And I've asked this question. I've asked this question to philosophers. I said, who are you philosophers to just define it as the, like what makes you right in your definition? You know, you're not God. These philosophers think they're God sometimes. Well, this is one of the things I love about your work and I'm enjoying about talking with you now is that you are willing to question these foundational questions I think partly if we go back, this is what got me in trouble in school. <laughs> yeah, but it's what makes you so brilliant now. Thank you, thank you. But if we go back to where we started, right? Like you see, if you see everyone as human and you don't put people on a pedestal, then you're not going to go, well, oh, you're a philosopher, you must be right. I'm, I'm just psychologist, exactly. right? But you don't, you don't do that. I love it about you. No, no. People are, people are annoying, <laughs> regardless of their qualification. We're all annoying. <laughs> fair, fair. Well, yeah, everyone's annoying in some context, right? In, in their own way. But, well, I mean, I, I, I love humanity. So. I, oh, I yeah, I know. Simply. I know you're just joking because I, I follow you mm. on the gram. You talk about loving humanity all the time. Mm. And, and a lot of the beauty mm. that we can focus on in humanity, even when humanity's in the squeeze sometimes. Yeah. And what? I think in the squeeze, like we're going through it, we've got stuff going on. Oh, yeah. But I think, you know, gotcha. underneath it to me is like, well, why, why does this question really matter? This question around free will. And as people mm -hmm. who facilitate change in others and want genuinely for the world to, to be better, to, for people to thrive, for people to cultivate well-being, I think if we don't believe in the potential for free will and choice and proactive change, then what are we even doing? Right. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I, my project is to help people see that they can change the future probabilities of their life. I suppose it, it just doesn't matter from my project perspective, if we have ultimate free will, because we probably don't have ultimate, if I agree with Sam Harris in that regard, but but I, I almost my question is so what like to the average to the person living their life the organism you don't have access to all the rules and so it's still a witnessing that is unfolding that you don't know the end of the story that's all that matters you don't know it's worth living because you want to know how it ends <laughs> can you tell us more about your project you know what I mean I do know what you mean I'm down. Well, just the project, the overall project of helping people grow and change and self-actualize. That's a very specific project that 
takes as its assumption that people want to grow and learn and change and that people can grow, learn, and change. And they can, uh, regardless of whether we've ultimately free will or not, it's irrelevant. We still can learn, grow, and change, you know, even if we weren't, we're, we're, whatever, you know, we don't need to get into those philosophical debates again. We, we already kind of just covered them, but the yeah, point I'm is we can. And, and we can in extraordinary ways. Um, I mean, I, uh, before ninth grade, had no sense of what was possible in my life. I thought I was just, I don't know what I thought. I was destined for nothing. Um, but, uh, you know, after uh, I got inspired and started to see what I was capable of, I, you know, I never looked back and I discovered a whole other universe. Can I know the stories in retirement, but I, my my intuition wants to know about that moment of change. What what sparked it? What unlocked it? What was what was the pivot point for you that shifted belief? Well, there are a couple of things. One is I had a student. No, I'm sorry. Let me try that again. <laughs> One thing you'll edit that out. You'll you, you'll get an editor. You'll get an editor. Um, one thing is I had a teacher, a special ed teacher who took me aside after class and he asked me what I was doing there. She was a substitute teacher, um, or not substitute. She was uh, a special ed teacher that was covering for the other teacher and I've never seen her before, but she had said, what are you doing here? And I could see her frustration and that really inspired me. That really inspired me because I really wanted to get out. And that really um, like inspired me to to see what I was capable of because I was like, yeah, what am I doing here? I don't. Uh, she's right. She's right. Yeah. So just need um, that, one person. That, that was a that was a big one. Yeah, just one person. But it also took lots of other uh, people uh, along the way to, who supported me uh, once I joined mainstream education again, and uh, or not again, just I joined mainstream education. Um, that really supported me and encouraged me to join the choir, join the orchestra. I had a great Latin teacher who I became a Latin scholar, you know, like uh, just I nerded out uh, so much and uh, didn't realize I had all that within me. I didn't know didn't it. you also I play the cello? Uh, <laughs> yeah. My, gra my grandfather taught me. My grandfather was a cellist with a Philadelphia orchestra. Awesome. Most cello references ever on a BTF episode. And I think to your point mm -hmm. is this diversity of interest and in education is one of the themes I think we've been weaving through this is like not any kind. So often now we see kids who are pushed into a monolithic interest with the belief that they're going to be a collegiate athlete or whatever. And really mm -hmm. there's so many things that we follow in interest and curiosity throughout a lifetime that you don't know what's going to circle back. I was, I was an undergraduate mm -hmm. acting major and walked away from it to That's go so into cool. fitness and now bring it back all the time. Mm -hmm. Now as the content creator, mm -hmm. never expected to be, where did you go to school? Uh, I went to U Albany for undergrad. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Did you do musical theater at all? I did musical theater in high school. And then I actually had my, my freshman year. I was at the uh, Geneseo state for musical theater cool. and then transferred to Albany for straight plays. Um, 
because we haven't met in person yet, Scott. I'm six foot one, so I'm not very castable on stage, but I loved musicals. I had no idea. Oh, yeah, I'm huge so <laughs> and a soprano. <laughs> so I was basically uncastable. <laughs> yeah, so we are. But the point being, like, you could play uh, the giant in the, in the, Jack and the Giant or whatever it is. Yeah, right. I, you know <laughs> what musical. I wanted to do? One of my like um, early adolescent dreams was to go to Disney and be the evil queen in the parks. I thought that'd be so fun. <laughs> that but, is so cool. But the point, because you were also into musicals too, weren't you? Yeah, I was totally into musicals, and I love the really like uh, the 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 operatic musicals, like Les Mis and. Yeah. Uh, yeah i like jekyll and hyde i like things they're not they're just i like dramatic yeah phantom yeah. phantom was one of my big ones i really wanted to play oh, Christine, I love phantom. but i had this illusion yeah, that I, we were going to find a, a seven foot tall role and i would be able to play christine <laughs> oh. <laughs> so funny. but that variety of interest <laughs> that creative spark i think also just develops skills in us that then serve us in a variety of ways and the pleasure, the enjoyment of it fuels, you know, fills us up so far outside of our productivity identities and these other things that we're taught to think of as valuable. Yeah. Well, Scott, we're getting about that time and I want to thank you. No, so much. no, we can, I mean, we can keep going. What else you want to talk about? Let's dance. <laughs> I, I don't know that I communicated this effectively back in 2020, but even the brief conversation mm. that we had in, in was it March or April? Massively helpful. Mm. Put really? a lot of juice mm. into my capstone and that Good. became the foundation of Good. so much that I'm doing now so that you would take the time to talk Amazing. to me and be on the show now means a lot to me. And I, I look up to your show, your consistency and baking Thank and you. building that show. Like just know that I look up to you a lot Thank and, you. and I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you.